I hope you're all doing well, but I want to start by confessing that I'm a little tired this morning, a little confused and maybe uncertain. Uh, I had a 30-year class reunion last night, and the first sign that things had changed a little bit for us is we were sitting eating dinner at 5.30 and we were watching the news. <laughs> class re Class reunions are kind of a funny thing. Like our five-year class reunion, we heard all these crazy stories of what everybody was doing in college. And then the 10 and 15-year class reunion, you hear about people starting their families and their jobs. And the 20-year class reunion, we had one person in our class had their first grandkid, and another one was having their first kid. So you had this weird dynamic. And, and then last night, we sat around and had a conversation, and one lady was saying how she had her hip replaced. And we were all trying to figure out how long our arms needed to be to look at pictures. They had a 45-minute conversation about getting hearing aids. At least that's what I was told they talked about. <laughs> so yeah, I'm a little uncertain this morning. I'm not sure how they got so old. But anyway... Uh, a few weeks ago, we started a new series out of this Jesus Storybook Bible. And so the first week of that series, Andrew talked about creation, right? How God spoke things and they came to being. All of creation. And he said it was good. And then he created mankind and he said it was very good. And then last week, he moved on to Adam and Eve and how... They were deceived by the serpent and how sin entered into the world. We had this great fall. And if you're following along in your book, which I assume many of you are because we've sold quite a few of them, today we're going to talk about a story that most of you know, or at least think you know. Um, even the kids, oh, the kids. The kids are supposed to be dismissed. They're already gone. Did I mention that I can't hear very well or see very well? <laughs> Kids, if you're still here, you can go. What was I saying? <laughs> oh, yeah, Noah and the flood. That's what we're going to talk about. So the beauty of the Bible is there's so many fascinating stories, one after another. But all of those stories melt into one big story. And they all point to Jesus. And this one is no different. There, there are so many things throughout this story that point and reveal who Jesus is. And we certainly don't have time to go through all of this line by line, so we're just going to try to hit some highlights of it this morning. But I would encourage you, if you have one of these or if you don't, we have them for sale out at the info booth. I would encourage you this week to continue to look through this. Discuss it with your spouse, your kids, your grandkids, your, your Bible study group or maybe just by yourself, to dig into this story. But when we start here in Genesis 5, we see this long genealogy from the beginning of time to Noah and his three sons. So at the beginning of chapter 5, we see Adam is created. And then at the end of chapter 5, Noah and his three sons. And if you do the math through all that genealogy, it comes out to roughly... 1,686 years, roughly. 
So 1,686 years from when God said, everything is good, everything is just like it's supposed to be, to where we see Genesis 6, verses 5 through 7. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted he had made human beings on earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them all the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. Just pause on that for a minute. Everything was like it was supposed to be. And now the Lord says, I regret ever making the human race. And now you might be thinking, wait a minute, Judd, we're supposed to be talking about Noah and the flood, right? That's where they, all the animals get on the boat and everything's saved and there's rainbows and we paint it on the nursery walls and we hand out coloring sheets where everybody gets to paint these happy pictures. That's not all this story tells us. And I think it reflects often how we look at Jesus. Right? When we look at just the happy animals in the ark and how everything ended up, we can just look at Jesus as our Savior. Right? That's the part that we really want. But we skip over the Lord part, how we're supposed to follow him every day. These people had lost track of God. Right? They, didn't, they didn't have this. They didn't necessarily know who Jesus was, but they had lost track of who God was. They were filled with evil and with lust, with destruction and perversion to the point where God's heart was deeply troubled. And when you think about somebody with a troubled heart for almost 1,700 years, you think, boy, that's a, that's a lot of pain that the people caused the Lord. But I think it also reveals how patient he is with us. For 1,700 years. And it's a saying that you've probably heard me say before. But I think this story also reveals it. That our sin, your sin, my sin, is far worse than we think it is. It's far worse than we think it is. But God's grace is so much bigger than we think it is. So we see at the end of Genesis 6, verse 7, this could have been the end of the Bible, right? We see God's heart is deeply troubled. He's fed up with the sinful nature of mankind. He's ready to just hit control, alt, delete, and start over. Or maybe worse yet, he was ready to just hit delete and be done. But then we get to verse 8, and we see something happen. Genesis 6, verse 8 says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God said, I'm ready to end it all. But Noah, Noah found favor. So we see God's grace start to enter into this story. And when we think about God's grace and our sin and our opportunity for salvation... There's three prepositions that we always need to keep in mind when we think about our salvation. By, through, and for. 
by, through, and for. And Ephesians 2.8 spells that out for us. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works for which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're saved by grace through faith for God's work. And we see in this story, Noah saved by grace through his faith to carry out this plan that God had given him. Genesis 6, 9 says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of the time, and he walked faithfully with God. Keep that verse in mind as you reflect this week. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of the time. He walked faithfully with God. And there's so much in this story, like I said, we, don't, we won't even begin to touch it all today. And there's things in this story that we probably know, but we don't really know. Right? We know that Noah's called to build an ark. What we don't really know was, were boats even a thing? Right? That changes the story when you think about it like that. I mean, here's this man in the middle of the desert, and God says, I want you to build an ark. You know, and like the video said, the neighbor showed up, said, Noah, what are you doing? Building a boat. Cool. What's a boat? Oh, it floats in the water. Cool. You're in the desert. And it doesn't even mention rain at this point in Scripture. It says there was a mist that had covered the, the earth, but there was no rain mentioned at this point. Which changes the story even more. Why would you need a boat in the middle of the desert? If you, anyway, Genesis 2, 5, 6. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth. And there was no one to work the ground. Now that passage is before Adam and Eve. So maybe after creation, after Adam and Eve, they had sent rain. But there's no, there's no mention of it until the ark is built. Hebrews 11.7 even reminds us, By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, so maybe that's referring to the rain, maybe that's referring to the, the flood, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. So when we think about the ark and the rain, we don't really know what we don't know. We often place a lot into the story that may or may not be there. And since we don't, don't know a lot about those things, I want to spend some time this morning talking about this story and how things in this story point to who Jesus is or reflects who Jesus is to us in our relationship with him. Because like I said, the whole book, the whole Bible, Old Testament, New Testament alike, they all point to Jesus. So eight things I want to point out. Some of you have heard this. Hopefully some of you haven't. Number one, in Genesis 6, 13, so God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy, destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark. We see that God is providing a Noah a way in which to be saved. 
And we, we know that God never changes, right? So we see the sinful nature of the, of the people of the world. And we know that God is merciful towards them, but he's also justified in what he does to them. Ezekiel 33, 11. Surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Right? God didn't necessarily want to do this, but he needed to. But by grace, he gives Noah a way out. For Noah, it was the ark. And for us, it's Jesus. When we talk about our way to salvation, our way to eternal life through the cross, right? We know the cross wasn't this great spur-of-the-moment idea like, God, I thought, oh, the ark didn't work. Maybe I'll try this. The reality is, God knew the cost of our sin. Of your sin, of my sin, the sin of the world. And he looked at the cross and he said, you know, you're worth it. You're worth it. And so by grace, through faith, we're saved. The cross is our ark. Noah was provided a way out. And number two, the ark's design was revealed to him in advance. God didn't explain to Noah what to do as he was doing it. He laid it out to him in advance, said, this is what I want you to do, now go do it. In Genesis 6, 14 through 16, we see God give these very specific instructions. And we see the same throughout the Old Testament. It explains. It explains to us who Jesus is, who he's going to be. We call them messianic prophecies. Things along the lines of Isaiah 14. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Micah 5.2. Out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel. Isaiah 53.7. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Psalm 16.10, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. We see all of these lines pointing to Jesus. It was all revealed in advance. And all of these point to the life of Jesus, like the ark, in advance. And there's like 1,200 and some messianic prophecies throughout the Old Testament who all came, that all came true through the life of Jesus. The ark was revealed in advance. And number three, the ark had a window. And when we see pictures and when we maybe read into the story, it sounds like there might be a lot of windows. But when you read through this, it says a window, one cubit from the top. Which I thought was interesting this week as I, as I pondered that, because with one window towards the top, that leaves Noah and his family only one way to look. In the midst of all of the turmoil, all of the storms, they only could point their eyes in one direction, and that was up. Which I think is interesting, because as Christians, we also need to keep our eyes focused up, our hearts focused on the one above, our only sure and certain way to live. Because right, we have our own waves of life that came crashing against us from all directions, that distract us, that scare us. And we can lose focus, but like that one window, we need to keep our eyes focused on the Lord. 
And Jesus tells us in John 16, I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He's defeated it all. We just need to stay focused on him. And number four, the ark had many rooms. We see in Genesis 16, 6, 16 again that God gives Noah this design that he's supposed to build three decks. Well, with on those decks, there's going to be many rooms, right? Each specific room for an animal. Jesus tells us in John 14, 2, my, house has many, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Like the people that we saw up here last weekend, when we commit our lives to Christ, when we're baptized in him, we receive far more than just the forgiveness of our sins. The forgiveness of our sins is far more than we deserve, but we also receive more than that. We receive a place, a dwelling place in heaven for eternity. We become part of the family that gets to be with the Father for eternity. So just like the animals on the ark, Jesus has prepared a place for us. Number five, also in verse 16, it says there is one door. One door. There's only one way in. When we read this story, we see two groups of people, right? We have Noah and his family and everybody else. We see that Noah and his family go through the one door and they survive. They have their means of salvation. Everybody else, not so much. And when we look at the world today, if we, if we can look at it through God's eyes, there's really only two groups of people. There's the saved and the lost. And when we draw our last breath, or if Jesus were to come back, whenever that judgment day happens, we really only have two choices for our eternity. There's no what ifs or what abouts. There's no second, third, fourth options. There is a second option. There's not a third or fourth option. Just like the door to the ark, there's only one way. And Jesus tells us in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying, I am the one door. I am your only means of salvation. And number six, we see the ark is Noah and his family. It's their refuge from this storm that's coming. From the storms that were coming. And like in Revelation, it tells us that at some point, this world as we know it will cease to exist. That may be tomorrow. That may be 2,000 years from now. That might be right now. It would been kind of cool if I would have nailed that, but <laughs> missed it. Jesus tells us in Romans 5, 9, 5, 9 through 10, 
Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more then shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Jesus is our only refuge in the midst of the storms. Number seven. Noah was invited in. Him and his family were invited into the ark. His labor was done. Everything the Lord had told him, the boat was built. And he was invited in. It was time to rest, time to weather the storm. Genesis 7-1, it says, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. And Jesus gives us the same invitation. He invites us in with him. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Throughout all of life's storms, Jesus is our one constant, our one invitation. And number eight, they were secured by God. In Genesis 7, 16, the animals were going in, male and female, of every living thing. As God had commanded Noah, then the Lord shut them in. They were invited in, and they were secured by God. Jesus, too, like I said, invites us in. And when we accept that invitation, we, too, are secure in Jesus. And there is nothing that we can do to separate us from the love of the Father. There are many things, many more things in this story that point to who Jesus is. Like I was just talking with Lisa this morning, and there's parts of this story that are just kind of odd to me. Like God must have been a fisherman of some kind because all the other animals had to be saved on the boat. But if there's a flood, like the fish are going to thrive. And Lisa said, yeah, the fish is a, is a symbol of Jesus. He was thriving in that time. And I'm like, that's good. That'll preach. But if we look at this, another thing. In Genesis 6, 14, it says the ark was covered with pitch on the inside and the outside. A way to kind of seal it. And scripture tells us that we are covered by the blood of Christ. And one interesting tidbit, if you read through this, it says the ark was six times longer than it was wide. Six times longer than it was wide. And I discovered this week that that is the same dimensions or the same parameters that shipbuilders use today. It kind of reveals that our Jesus' plan for us never changes. It's always been the same. So the water of this world or the storms of our life, the waves, they'll come crashing. But when we're secure in Jesus, and the other tricky part is when we're in Jesus, we still have to be in the water, right? We still have to be in the world. It's good to be in the boat but it's bad when we let the water into the boat. 
right? When we're in Jesus, we're supposed to be in the world. We're just not supposed to let the world come into our hearts. It's good to be in the boat. It's bad to let the water into the boat. And there's a couple interesting paradigms in this story. Because in this story, we see that the wicked die and the righteous one lives. But with Jesus, the wicked are spared and the righteous one died. Noah survived by taking shelter. Jesus died to become our shelter. He took what we deserve so then we could receive what he deserves. And one of my favorite parts of this story is at the end. One part I don't understand is why would God leave the ark on top of a mountain? You would think of all the ways that he could rescue them. Why make them stay on a mountain? There might be more to that that I didn't get to. But at the end of the story, we see that Noah and his family and all these animals were saved from sheer destruction. And as they come down from the mountain, we see the first thing that Noah does is he gives thanks to God. He praises God and he worships him. And so friends, as you, as you go through this week, I usually try to give you something like, go do this, challenge yourself with this. This week, I just want to invite you into reflection. Where are you at? with God. Right? When we, we see the wickedness of this story and we see Noah offered salvation, we know in here that there is a judgment day coming for each and every one of us. Where are you at? Nobody else can answer that for you. But where are you at with God? We sang a song a little bit ago about singing hallelujah in the midst of a storm. We all have them. Right? Some of you might see a storm in your life brewing on the horizon. Some of you came here this morning and it was all you could do to get here because the world is crashing down on you. And there's some of you breathing a sigh of relief because you're coming out of a season of a storm. But where are you at with that? We're all going to have our storms. But the truth is the same. Jesus invites us in. He is our security. He is our refuge. He is our only means to salvation. Will we sing to him? Will we praise him? Will we worship him in the midst of those storms? So we're going to do that today. I'll invite the praise team up and I'm going to pray and we're going to have an opportunity to worship our Lord and Savior in spirit and in truth. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the ways that in so many different ways you reveal yourself to us. Some are obvious, some we read into. But Jesus, you were worthy of it all. And we confess that our sin 
deeply troubles your heart. And so, Lord, we, we confess and we repent. We thank you for your constant invitation. We thank you for being our refuge, our one safe place. And that's not just for today, that's for eternity. So Lord, it was, it was prayed earlier and I pray it again that we all, everybody in this room, everybody watching online, we're all coming to you, Father, with, from a different place. Some of us walked in here with praise and adoration on our hearts. Some just came in deep despair, wherever we are. I pray that our, our praise and our adoration would be pleasing to you this morning. Holy Spirit, would you meet us where we need you the most? Would you do what only you can do, Holy Spirit? Yeah. We just worship you now. We thank you for your love and your faithfulness. And we pray it in the name above all names, the name of Jesus.